ready wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening. We're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC, especially if you are one of our geeks in sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run. Man, you are my favorite people. DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week, delivered the way we love it to be, completely free. Thanks to our sponsor this week, Squarespace. Squarespace! They made that possible, bringing the show to you. Of course, DLC is the show all about gaming in its many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I am your host, Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And I'm joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis, the guy who dropped all the way out of the draft again this year, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. Up top, one, I know you throw that nemesis thing in there every week in the intro, but it needs repeating, and I don't repeat it enough. You are one of the nicest, best dudes I've ever known. Thank you for being a friend. You're trying to throw me off. I am not. I'm just being (laughs) sincere. And also, an up top shout out to Nick for one of the best things I've ever done in my life. So... Thank you to both of you. Ah, thanks for saying that, man. Yeah, we got to, Christian and I got to go to a table read of The Simpsons this week, sitting in the same room as Dan Castellaneta and uh, many members of the cast, uh, hearing them create those voices that we basically grew up with. It's incredible. Season 28 they're on? It's insane. Insane. Uh, So yes, thank you. Big thanks to Nick for making that happen, letting the two of us kind of live out a lifelong dream. Um... But uh, we're going to talk about video games, and my goodness, we're recording a little bit early this week. I'm, I'm heading out to an event on Monday, uh, an event I can't tell you about yet, but I'm very excited about, and you will hear about a lot next week, I can assure you. <laughs> um, but uh, So we have to record a little early, and we're actually recording on International Tabletop Day, which is very exciting because uh, as a fan of, of tabletop games, we'll, we'll get to that in the Tabletop Time segment at the bottom of the show, but... Uh, just know that if uh, you know there's big news that hits on Sunday or Monday morning, we're not going to be covering that in this episode. But we got plenty to talk about because huge news dropped uh, right after our episode last week, and and we got we got so many games to talk about. It's going to be fun. And also, we have an awesome guest back with us. You know that DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, oh man, we're excited because DLC once again stands for diversity looks cool. Because one of our favorite advocates for diversity in gaming and media is back with us from Games Look Good and Science Looks Good, as well as the Spawn On Me podcast. We're so glad to welcome Sharif Jackson back to the show. Hey, Sharif. What's up, y'all? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to this. Awesome, man. We're, uh, we're happy to have you back. I know that you are a big Nintendo fan, so uh, we got lots of Nintendo to talk about this week. That's for sure. For uh, so sure. let's, yeah, <laughs> let's waste no time and get right to Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration by using our hashtag DLCSOTW on Twitter. Uh, you can also head over to our subreddit, Awesome Conversations there. You can submit stories, talk about other stories. Cool community we are building over on the subreddit, which is 5x5dlc.reddit.com. And uh, love getting your feedback via email, and you can always email us 
dlcfeedback at gmail.com. We'll have emails to read uh, throughout the show, so thank you for that. Sharif, you are our guest, so uh, I'm curious what your story of the week is this year, this week. Yeah, so my story of the week, as you said, you know, I am a, uh, I'm not, I don't only play Nintendo games, but that's probably my, uh, my uh, core stuff that I tend to gravitate toward. Um, and Nintendo basically released their, uh, you know, their plan for E3 as well as their plan for, for their new console, uh, the Nintendo NX. Um, so they announced that the NX will be dropping in March 2017. Um, they announced that uh, Zelda will also be dropping around that time, um, along with a Wii U version of it as well. So they're doing a similar thing that they did with Twilight Princess with the GameCube and the, and the uh, Wii. Um, and they also announced that they will not be showing the NX at E3. <laughs> In June. <laughs> All right. So let's, we're going to, we need to just step through this, unpack okay. all this information. This is a, this is a major, but first, we got E3s right around the corner. So I think this might be the first for 2016, our first time to hit up the E3 hype train bumper. Let's hit it. Okay, now I feel better. We got the E3. We're, we're hyping E3. Unfortunately, this might be the opposite of hype. <laughs> the hype train <laughs> is sputtering right at the top. So as you said, despite the fact that Nintendo has told everybody, you will hear more about NX in, in 2016, we all assumed, oh my gosh, that's the big E3 business. They're, they have a new console. We're going to hear all about it at the biggest video game trade show of the year, of course. Well, at their investor call this year, they said, nope. No NX at E3, only one playable game <laughs> at E3, and that game is The Legend of Zelda, which will be playable on Wii U, but <laughs> that game's coming out on the new console, too, and it's not even coming out this year, it's coming out next year. Sharif, tell me what's <laughs> going on, man. What is man, this? Well... It's, it's Nintendo being Nintendo, right? I mean, they've always, they've never sort of followed, you know, they, they've always marched to be their own drum, I guess is the way to say it, right? Their Donkey Konga, maybe? The, yes, exactly. They always marched to the beat of their own Kongas. <laughs> um, and this was pretty perplexing to me. Um, I, I, I understand why the NX is coming out in 2017. I was really worried that they would try to rush it out this year. Um, I really preferred that they drop it at the end of 2017, but March, okay. Um, so I understand that, you know, that they've been shifting their development kind of resources and, you know, and obviously the um, amount of uh, Wii U games have kind of slowed, um, you know, uh, in the past sort of six months to a year. Um, but I just cannot understand why they cannot at least have the console in such a state that they can put together a tech demo or something to show at E3. Like it here's, just kind of boggles the mind to me. Here's what I think. This, this may indicate a couple of things. One of which is I think there might be this mass exodus from E3. I think right now there, you know, EA is doing its own thing. Isn't Activision right. doing its own yep, thing? Activision, They're not going to be right. And, Di and Disney too. And Disney. Yeah. Right. Um, so maybe this, 
as much as it speaks to Nintendo, maybe it also speaks to this current state of E3 in the sense of them going, no, we don't want to announce our biggest news of the year at E3. Um, but it is, it, it's kind of like, well, we don't have anything there. So I guess they're just, they just are writing off 2016 entirely? Christian, I know you're going to rant about this, so I want to hear a Christian Spicer-style Nintendo rant. Well, I just want to say, so far my predictions, uh, my crazy predictions beginning of the year episode, I am murdering it, yeah, you, you guys. Um, Xbox announcing or talking something about a new console, nailed it. E Zelda, it's, it stinks to be right sometimes, but now this is like the later, well, for while we're recording this breaking news, on Nintendo's website, they got rid of the March next to the Zelda. So now it just says 2017. So even Nintendo's like, we're not, let's be honest. <laughs> Who are we kidding? Yeah, let's not put ourselves in a box with the March thing. <laughs> it's like, it, I mean, it, it should just put like eventually or something. Um, <laughs> when it's done. Yeah, when when it's done. I do wonder, I don't know if Nintendo is this coy, but I do wonder if like, the NX isn't going to be shown at E3, but they show it during E3, but on a Nintendo Direct. Like, does that count as not at E3? The weird thing to me, and I think the most disappointing thing, is where I feel like maybe they think they've put themselves in this corner, and they did it with um, Twilight Princess 2, where they're like, this is coming out for the GameCube. And they've been saying, Zelda for Wii U will come out on the Wii U. Now it's an eventual 2017 game also coming out on the NX. I just feel like great, we're finally going to get a new Zelda, but it's going to be hamstrung yep. by releasing on a you know, 720p um, Xbox 360 plus level console instead of them just doing it only for NX, even if they just uh, you know pretty much use the game that they had right now, but instead of trying to make sure it worked on Wii U, they just you know did everything they could to make it awesome on NX. I'd be more excited about that. It's almost like they just are fulfilling the promise. Like, we said it was going to come out on Wii U, so yeah, we'll do that. But the thing that's crazy to me is that we only have one game playable at E3, but that game is this one for the console that we don't want you to be excited to play it on. Like, you're going to be able to play Zelda on Wii U, but like, well... We're all going to be curious about what it, what's different about it for this new console. Like, is it going to play the same? Is it going to use a screen? Is there going to be a screen on the? Well, new- we're not we're not talking about that right now, Jeff. This is for yep. the Wii U. Yeah, oh. and, and 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 like that's what worries me is that them showing the Wii U version at E3 means that the NX version is literally going to be just about the exact same, and it's not really going to use like whatever this new console is. It's not going to be attuned to what that console can really bring that's different. And that's, dis- and, and that's disappointing to me. Unless the only difference is, aside from like, you know, a little bump, bump in specs, is this portability. Then, okay, fine, whatever. But yeah, it is. But that's I'm, not I'm what right we with want. You, we, don't no, want a new, not. we don't want a new console that's just like, oh, it's the same except portable. I mean, <laughs> it, okay, here's, here's my effort to, to make a silver lining out of all this, guys. Um, what if uh, the way to one way to look at this news is, Hey, we're just taking a mulligan on 2016 and we understand that the Wii U is a complete flop. We're, we're all in on whatever NX is going to be called. March, 2017 is the dawn of a new Nintendo era. And the reason we're not showing anything at E3 
is because when we start that era, we're going to ensure that that console has a lot of great stuff for it. So we basically shut everything down. We're putting all our chips on March 2017, and we're every game that we're making, like the fact that we were, we're not showing any, anything at E3 <laughs> is because none of that stuff's going to be for this, you know, for Wii U. We, we're, we're letting Wii U die, and we're yeah. going to make sure that NX has a strong launch with a strong library. Am I confident that's actually the case? Well, based on Nintendo's track record, not really. But I hope that that's what this means. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm not 100% negative on this. I mean, I'm definitely not that positive on it, but I do think that like Nintendo is making some interesting moves along with this. Like they've kind of, you know, like they've sold their stake in the Mariners to shore up some cash. Um, they have sort of, you know, whether whether Mitomo is a game or not, um, they they, <laughs> they you know this 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 a uh, partnership with like Dina is showing that they have some signs of a mobile strategy. Um, they have this like Nintendo account that is finally not going to lock you to a console with all your credentials and and like that kind of stuff. And they have successful online games like Splatoon and Mario Maker that they've never had before. So, you know, and that plus the uh, new leadership after, after the passing of like Awada. I mean, they really do have chips in play that if they wanted to do something completely different that they could. You know, like I yeah. think that they've like positioned themselves um, to really sort of reinvent what they've been been uh, delivering. If they execute on it, I don't know. But um, I do think that, you know, I agree with you. They could come out in 2017 and just say, hey, like, you know, this is, you know, not now you're playing with power, superpower <laughs> or something, you know, I, I, it's um, just it knows? just boggles my mind that they're going to allow a holiday season to go by without anything. Is that what they're saying? Paper Mario, right? Surely that can't be what they're saying, but maybe that's what they're saying. But why wouldn't paper Mario be playable at E3 then? (laughs) I I don't know, man. Like you you guys, all three of us have been to E3, right? We've all seen that Nintendo booth. Is that Nintendo booth just going to be 150, uh, uh, stations for uh, Mario on Wii or uh, Zelda on Wii U like it's just they're just gonna have one game there what yeah it sounds bonkers I mean unless they're gonna have a bunch of 3DS stuff or they've got to I don't know they've got to have a ton of 3DS stuff I feel like maybe the only reason they announced this now because it seems weird right I mean they have if you buy a Wii U now like the Wii U didn't suddenly get a price drop you know what I mean it's still sitting at 200 bucks or 250 whatever it's sitting at i mean they have put the nail in the coffin of the wii u right by saying publicly hey a year from now our new console is coming out we have nothing for this console i guess if our catalog of current games impresses you enough you can go buy this you know talking about a uh dead console right it's just limping along at this point but i wonder if they felt compelled to do that because of e3 being around the corner and wondering all the questions they'd get if they only had zelda there right and nothing else and if they felt a little pressure from the PlayStation 4K, Neo, whatever, or and these Xbox rumors, if what they're trying to do now is kind of like Sony did in the PS2 era, where like, yeah, the Sega Dreamcast came out first, but as soon as there were rumors about the Dreamcast launching, Sony was like, I guess you could buy that now if you want. I mean, we got this thing coming three months later that's better, you know, and everybody was like, yeah, we're waiting for the PS2. So I wonder if they're trying to get people 
to save up and not buy a VR headset or a, a PlayStation Neo. Otherwise, it just seems insane to me to be like, hey, guys, we got another year to sell this console, but don't buy it. <laughs> it's just crazy. Yeah, you, you know, you referenced the, these rumors that we got this week from Paul Thorat's blog. And Paul Thorat is a guy in his blog. It's not him writing on his blog, but uh, uh, this particular article. But his blog is a place that usually nails Microsoft rumors. This is a pretty solid uh, source. And he's talking about the fact that um, Microsoft is supposedly going to debut new uh, Xbox hardware at E3 this year. They're saying that it'll have a, a new controller that'll be updated and that it may have some really big new functionality. And we've talked at length on this show uh, about this uh, PS4 Neo. How crazy is it that at the beginning of the year, everybody knew that one of the big three hardware manufacturers was going to come out with a new console, but that's the only one of the three that isn't going to be showing a new console at E3. That is just upsy-downsy cats and dogs living together. What? It's craziness to me. Yeah. It, uh, that The Microsoft story, you know, to just bump it up, and that is that would, what I would pick as my story of the week, I mean, as the next big story. And what's interesting about this, and I can't say anything that I know I I'll, I will say this. I have heard rumors from not tons of sources, but enough that I trust that Xbox E3 is either going to blow people away or do nothing. Like I have heard <laughs> nothing in the middle. Like it's I've told you way to say way like, to say nothing by saying a bunch. <laughs> well, no, I'm telling you, I, I've only heard rumors on each side of the extreme, and I'm and I've talked to both of these people, all these people together. And they're like, yeah, I don't know which way it's going to go. It's crazy to me. And that's what this kind of says, too. You know, coming up, it's like they're going to it's going to have a new console and there's going to be a new controller. It might just be a white controller. I don't know. But then at the end, it's like, but they've also announced something that could be much bigger. They've kind of talked about it before. Or, you know, maybe it's just like a white Xbox One Slim. It's like, what is happening? <laughs> Here's my theory with all this. Uh, my theory is that, you know, this last hardware generation lasted longer than anybody thought it would. And the Xbox One and PS4 came like a year or two later than everybody sort of expected they might. But I still think they came just a little too soon. Basically what happened is they hit this weird valley between when the old consoles were kind of looking a little dated compared to PC, but right before... 4K televisions were kind of happening and especially VR headsets. And the the anytime you release a console, it's kind of this snapshot in time of where technology is right there. It's like the cutting edge of what we can do right there for about 400 500 bucks to consumers, but this is the best you can get. But it happened to be a snapshot out of a time right before we knew that you needed more than that to do 4K and we needed you needed more than that to do real VR gaming. And now I think both of these companies are looking at it and going, we need to be in the VR business and we really want to be in the 4K business. So we need to update the hardware in these consoles much sooner than we should for an actual new console release. So we're doing these weird half steps. At least that's what I think is happening. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's even before 4K and, and VR. I mean, I think that these consoles can't even 
push out 1080 60 on a regular level and that was yeah. a part of a, a lot of the marketing when these came out was hey, you get <laughs> 1080p gaming and 60 and like some of those early games like call of duty and the battlefields and stuff did have that but you know then you have like your you know like all these battles about oh the division is 900p and this game is 720p and all that stuff so right um yeah they did launch in this weird kind of like era um you know and in the meanwhile, we were getting games like The Last of Us and GTA Five on uh, 360 and, 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 and PS3 that were incredible. Yeah, you're yeah. right. No, that's so. a great point. I, I think you're absolutely right. I, I do think that both of these companies, uh, Microsoft and Sony, realize that they need to have – I mean, obviously Sony. But I think Microsoft also realizes that they need to have VR as a part of this console generation. And clearly, you know, they have this this – this partnership with Oculus on some level, because every Oculus comes with a, an Xbox one controller. If you can get an Oculus, which by the way, I don't know. (laughs) I don't have any proof that anyone actually gets them. Um, So I don't know, Christian, are you, are you thinking that, that, uh, that, you know, this is sort of a a VR play, a 4k play, or you think it's, what, what are you hoping this Xbox announcement is? I hope it's something it's delicate, right? I hope it's something that excites fans and gives their console or you know their console space a much needed kick in the butt but i hope it doesn't at the same time anger those of us that have had it since day one it's the same thing that sony's struggling with because you know the rumors are that the xbox one has sold what 19 million or something like that and the ps4 is at 40 million or something i mean it's it's a huge worldwide gap right now um the last numbers that i saw but I really like my Xbox One. I think it does a lot of things well. The exclusives on it are are a lot of fun. Um, the controller, the Elite controller, is my favorite controller. So I enjoy my time playing on it. But it's this weird thing where if they come out with a thing that is uh, HoloLens capable or like Oculus branded or something, it's like you want to get excited about that. But people just spent $500 two years ago and now what what kind of games do they access and i don't know we talked about it last week i don't know how how you market or sell a thing where it's like buy this thing so you can play the games the best they've ever looked but don't worry other people the games will still be great on that thing you just bought which you can still buy i mean i know there's an (laughs) xbox one and an xbox two on the shelf and they play the same games what's the difference between the games i don't know anyway exclusively on xbox like what i think the messaging (laughs) is like apple messaging it's do you want the greatest uh, ipad we've ever made it's the greatest ipad we've ever made here it is you can still get the old ipad for a hundred dollars less there's that for you people that want to spend a hundred dollars less i think i think the messaging is just that i guess i don't know i think it's a hard pill to swallow i know that the ios model is kind of what's been looked to uh, maybe i'm just an, an old timer and i'm not ready for it in my console space yet it feels weird to me sharif can you uh make the decision for us <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm definitely not ready for it either i mean i think that one thing now i one thing that i love about the console space is that it takes developers time to really grasp you know the the uh programming and like what it takes to really you know really tweak the resources of a console to make great games mm-hmm. which is why you really don't start seeing incredible games until i would argue the latter half of a console cycle right i feel like we're not going to get that anymore if they're iterating these consoles um more often than normal i think that like we're we're like going to get you know still 
good games, but are we going to get like the Last of Us type games or the Super Mario 3 type games? Like these games that, that like landed at the end of a generation that you would have never thought was even possible on that console when it first dropped. You know, that's that's the one thing I worry about if like we're going to start seeing like every three years like a new a uh, new version of it. Yeah. No, I think you make a solid point. It's it's an interesting dilemma. And I'm not in, exactly excited about refreshing all my consoles. You know, I, I don't want to buy new Xbox and PS and Playstations right now or even a new Nintendo. I mean, literally, like I'm looking at the next by March, there'd be three new consoles to buy. What? And maybe uh, you'd finally have your Oculus. Yeah. And no, probably not by March 2017. I, I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah yeah it's 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 crazy it's a wild it's crazy. wild thing um those are clearly i mean the nintendo stuff i think is clearly the story of the week that it, it is so it's so outside the box of what you expect uh that I, I i you know i love i love our discussion about it but i'm so curious to hear what other people have to say um as well it's going to be such an odd year for e3 it really it might be this might be truly the beginning of the end of e3 uh with so few so many of these places having their own events and so few things happening on the show floor. And if, if that giant Nintendo floor space is like uh, like a tumbleweed is going across, you know, uh, it's going to be very odd. Um, it's going to be very odd. But I, I'm going to pick a story of the week since you guys already grabbed those that uh, kind of hits me a little close to home just because I've been – I'm still loving The Division – uh, but some interesting developments on uh, on the division this week, as, as far as competitiveness. You know, the division is a hybrid multiplayer, uh, you know, competitive slash cooperative multiplayer game. You can't really progress at the end game without dipping your feet into some PvP stuff. It's kind of hard to completely sit that out if you want to keep playing at end game. And unfortunately, it sounds like at least one person's opinion is that the the net code for the division is completely broken and will only result in cheaters. Uh, that one person who makes that opinion though is a, is a pretty pretty bona fide opinion. It's uh, Glenn Fiedler who uh, worked on Titanfall and uh, uh, some other games, and he uh, wrote a big long blog post. I think Ars Technica picked it up about how he suspects that the division is only doing what he calls trust-based netcode. So let me break this down a little bit. Basically, the way most... Is that like leave a penny, take a penny? Yeah, exactly. You leave a penny. It's the um, honor system. <laughs> yeah. Don't cheat. Welcome to the division. Uh, he thinks... That, well, the way most games work, the way most competitive multiplayer games work, Call of Duty and Titanfall and a lot of other games work, is that the game is running on the client. So the client that's, you know, serving all of the multiplayer matches has a version of each game that it is running. And then your version that you're running on your home console or PC in this case, mostly, uh, is reporting back your movement to that, that server. So you, the client, you're, you're, uh, I may have said that incorrectly, but you are the yeah. client. Uh, the server yes. is running a version. You are running yes. a version. And then the, the, the server is fact-checking what the client is doing by running its own version. So it's trying to be predictive and say, okay, if you start moving in a, in a line, you're probably going to be at that line a little bit later, which kind of helps with lag issues and stuff because it can be a little predictive. But more importantly, whatever you do on your end, it can sort of double-check and make sure that you're 
you're on the up and up. Well, evidently, according to Glenn Fiedler, the division is just trusting you. It doesn't have a version running <laughs> on its side, on the server side. It's only taking what the clients tell it as fact and just going, oh, okay, you you have uh, 80% health. Okay, you have 80% health. That's what you have. So I'll report that to all the other players that you have 80% health. So what people can do is they can hack their side on the PC version, especially they can hack their side and say, no, I, I, I always have 100% health. I, even when you shoot me, I've still got 100% health. And then the, the, the server goes, oh, oh okay, well, you've, you've always got 100% health. So I guess there are lots and lots of people with these exploits running around, invincible, shooting through walls, infinite ammo, infinite health. Now, Massive did come out this week with a big uh, press release saying they have new cheat detecting, detection methods that allowed them to, to catch more cheaters in this last week than they have all before combined and that they are doing bans. They're banning people for uh, 14 days for their first offense and completely banning them uh, two, yeah, two weeks. They were previously only banned three days. Now they're doing two weeks for a first offense and a second offense is permanent. So Sharif, let me ask you, you're somebody who's playing the division as well. What do you, how do you feel about this? Uh, Fiedler thinks that, there's no way to fix it completely uh, without a complete rewriting of their net code. All they can do is this sort of punitive version of fixing it. Um, what do you think about that? And what do you think about what they're doing to, to fight it? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Fiedler is the expert in this. I mean, if he says it, um, I think it definitely has some validity to it um, from the, you know, obviously more limited knowledge that I have of sort of like client server models. Um, from the videos that he showed, which, you know, he linked to videos that shows people on YouTube open up these third-party apps and kind of hack through the, uh, you know, like the code of the game to give themselves ammo, health, and, you know, teleporting, invisibility, all kind of crazy stuff. And I run into these people in the game. Like, I run into people that have, like, just teleported away or like turned invisible and that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, so I think that he is on it and I think that, yeah, that's something that will never be truly eradicated. And I think that, uh, massive, you know, they were kind of forced to say something personally. I think they should have said something a little earlier because this has been going on for, you know, since the beta. Yeah, exactly. Um, and like, this is their first real stance on it. Um, so, um, like, you know, in, like, every game, there's always going to be a battle between the hackers and the and the uh, developers of patch stuff. I mean, I'm not too worried of them ever achieving some kind of 100% clean game. Um, but I do think that if they did not include, like, these server-side uh, authorizations that, you know, that's sort of a... I, I hope that other companies really look at that and say, hey, if I'm making this kind of game... I can't trust these people, <laughs> Yeah, you, you know, um, because, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like definitely it's like definitely a bigger problem for for them than it should be. And, of course, it causes people on Reddit and on their forums to go nuts sure. um, because these are like the hardcore players that put like, you know, 100, 200, 300 hours in, into the game. Um, and like, they're the ones that, you know, are going to be most affected, um, because like they ha- have the most time into it. So they have the most percentage of chance to see these, um, 
hackers. Um, I do like that they're you know that they've upped their uh, time for banning and uh, that kind of stuff. We'll just have to see because like you know they like just announced this. Um, so I think that you know I played last night. I didn't notice a significant difference, um, but I think that it's something where like only time will tell. Um, I think the biggest thing though is that they didn't really touch on it that much. Here is people that have glitched their way through missions, specifically their uh, end game mission called the Incursion. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hoping that a lot of this stuff that they talked about in terms of cheat detection also. Um, is directed toward that because, like, people have been able to get, you know, the the uh, highest level loot very, very quickly and just dominate in the PvP area. Yeah. Um, so I'm really hoping that um, that is addressed as well. Christian, you have a take on this? I, mean, I think it's just another reminder for things that make me sad about humanity, right? Where a game comes out and, like, what we're led to believe is, it's like, yeah, we're just going to trust you. And the first thing that we do is like, <laughs> idiots, you shouldn't have trusted us. Of course we're going to cheat. It's crazy to me that, I don't know, I've never, I've never been the type of person to do it. I don't want to knock someone else's fun, but I, I don't understand it. Like, the idea of cheating and then just griefing people. And, oh, I totally killed that person. Well, great. But not by playing by the rules. That's like, you know, if I went to an elementary school and there were a group of kids playing basketball and I walked onto the court, I wouldn't feel good like the like after that being like, 100 to 2, get out of here, kids. It's weird. It's weird to me. I don't – or like you go to one of those uh, escape rooms that are the hotness now, right? And like you go in there and you're like, yeah, this puzzle's hard. And you just go out the exit, like the emergency exit, and get to the end. And you're like, I did it. I did it. It's weird. I escaped the room. I escaped. It's weird, man. I don't. So it stinks that it's happening because I know it is a real thing and people do elicit some joy out of being jerks, I guess. But it's another one of those reminders to me of just like, man, humanity sometimes, right? <laughs> I don't yeah. Know. I mean, I, I do think the onus is, is on massive i mean i i don't think that this is a, should be a surprise to anybody right i mean it, people no. these exploits <laughs> there's a reason that every competitive multiplayer game works the same way and the fact that they didn't seems bonehead i i'm very surprised that that's the case but i'm hoping that they're you know they have taken this firm stance i'm hoping as sharif said that it it will bear out over time that that uh, you know they will eliminate hackers or they will make it so um, you know, they will catch them at such a high rate that it will make it pointless for them to 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 attempt this. But it's dangerous because this game, it's not like I can just enjoy the division and sit out this stuff. It's it, you know, this is a game is a, a game built around griefing as a central mechanic. Like the the end game is about this sort of push and pull between being able to trust your enemy or your you know other players or not. And if you have these super powered beings that will just run around without consequence it, it will break this game and it will make it not fun i wonder if the fix is they make um the dark zone like if you go into the dark dark zone everyone is max level and all you're playing for the loot you're playing for in there instead of like cooler items is just like a, a cape or a top hat you know like really weird um 
fashion items that don't impact the gameplay because yeah if you're going in there and you can't trust that everybody is on an equally or earned playing field well then maybe you just go okay fine jerks you've all cheated fine you're all superheroes you're playing infamous and now you're just playing for costume perks and would that be fun i don't know no i don't think so i think the whole idea of how these types of games works is that you 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 have to be motivated to get the cool gear to be able to do the cool thing and if I don't have that motivation, I'm not going to be playing for a cool cape. I'm, I I want to continue playing these games to become more powerful. But let if, me show you this cape. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, you're right. I haven't seen the cape yet, so maybe the cape is amazing. Um, <laughs> guys, uh, a couple other stories I want to hit on real quick. But first, let me take a moment and thank our sponsor, Squarespace. I'm so pleased. Squarespace has been sponsoring shows I do for almost a decade now, which is pretty extraordinary and i couldn't be happier because squarespace is something i can genuinely get behind and speak with experience on as to the fact that it's great it really is great this is something i genuinely uh i I recommend to people even when i'm I'm, they're not sponsoring my shows I, i i just think that they are a great service everybody needs a website of some kind really truly even if you don't think you need one they're useful in so many ways just to share share memories and photos or create an online portfolio or a destination, any kind of business you're in, if you can give somebody a URL that, that tells them who you are, it's so easy and so quick. Uh, it's a short-form way of communicating, and Squarespace makes that easy, quick thing easier and quicker because they can make beautiful-looking websites using their tools. You can make beautiful-looking websites that look unique and don't look cookie-cutter, and you can make them quickly, and you can make them easily, and you can make them inexpensively. Squarespace really does have drag-and-drop tools that anybody can use to make awesome-looking websites. They're intuitive. Plus, you get a free domain if you sign up for a year. So it can be really your all-in-one spot for everything you need to create your website. And we're going to hook you up. All you got to do is go to squarespace.com DLC. Use the promo code Jeff sent me, J-E-F-F-S-E-N-T-M-E, Jeff sent me at checkout. You'll get 10% off your first purchase. You show your support for DLC. Make sure we continue making these shows. And you get a really cool thing that you can try out. You don't even have to pay to start. You can create your website using the Squarespace tools. Make it how you want it to, to look. Test it out. Make sure you like Squarespace before you even give them your credit card. You can try out your, their tools and make your website. And then when you decide to do it, Squarespace.com slash DLC, the promo code Jeff sent me, all one word, J-E-F-F-S-E-N-T-M-E, and you'll get 10% off your order. Super cool stuff, guys. Check it out. Okay, uh, just a couple of things I want to hit on real quick before we move on. Um, one of our stories of the week last week, I think it may have been my story of the week, actually, was the uh, John Romero, uh, Adrian Carmack new Kickstarter that was going up, their their new venture, their new first-person shooter called Black Room. Well, not, no sooner did we talk about it than they yanked it down. Uh, they had already amassed $131,000 of their $700,000 goal, uh, and yet they yanked it down uh, saying that they wanted to create a demo for the game before they actually went back to the Kickstarter. Do they not know how Kickstarter works? (laughs) This is ridiculous. Evidently not. Evidently not. Um, Which is weird to me because you you can't just throw something up on Kickstarter. It has to be reviewed before it goes live. Kickstarter reviews all the things. And Kickstarter says, hey, you have to have a working prototype before we let you be on Kickstarter. So did nobody ask them for that? Seems odd to me. Why? 
I think they have some superstar power and Kickstarter was probably like, hey. <laughs> I, I'm sure you're right, actually. I'm sure you're right. So you, do you think this is a, a good thing or do you think it, it signals more problems for this project? I mean, I think it's pretty bad. I mean, these are industry veterans. Like, I feel like y- you don't just throw something on and then cancel it mere days after raising $100,000 for it. I mean, I feel like this shows that they're kind of they don't have a strong sense of what they're trying to provide. Um, and I do also think that when when people are giving to a Kickstarter, they understand that or they should understand that, you know, you're like you're kind of believing in the person and hoping that you get a product, but it's not like you're paying for a deposit on a product, right? So I feel like, you know, if you start it, you got to kind of keep going and just say, hey, like, we'll have a demo coming out later, thanks, or whatever, or just not launch it at all. To launch it and pull it, I just feel like just it just seems very amateur from, you know, from uh, two people that have been making games for a very long time. And I, I completely agree it. with that that word, amateur. It, it feels like lack of forethought, which is the exact opposite of what you want from a crowdfunding thing. <laughs> you want well, them to have thought this through. I but, think, Sharif, though, you kind of hit the nail on the head with the idea that these are experienced developers, but they are not experienced crowdfunders. And I think that there sometimes are very different um, skills required to do each successfully. I mean, the people who make the best games might not be the best at going out and begging the public for money. And I think that's kind of the reason why the traditional system worked the way it did or still does. Same with movies. It's you have people that understand the business, the suits, and they crush your creative vision. But they're like, this is what sells. This is how we're going to message it. Let me do this. And sometimes they mess it up, but sometimes they get it right. And they look at a project and go, okay, we can sell this. We can do this. We can make this. And then when you have people making things and going straight to the audience, I don't think they necessarily always understand how to do that or what the audience wants or when to show them. I think for me, this is one of two things. One, they were someone else like money came to them and said, Hey guys, let's do this. You guys are, you know, my heroes. I'm a dot com billionaire. I want to make your next game or something, right? Like someone with even more money came in and said, let's do this. Or two, they got scared that they weren't going to make their Kickstarter goal. And while I agree with you, Sharif, that and Jeff, that pulling a Kickstarter looks bad. I think that if these two industry vets trying to remake the type of game that made them famous failed to hit a rather modest Kickstarter goal to make a game, I think that would look worse. So I think that maybe their thinking was, we take this down, we come back with a demo, we get people excited, then we cruise to, you know, here comes the money. Yeah, uh, solid thinking. Um, it looks like this next week we are going to be seeing the debut of the next Call of Duty game. So I'm sure we'll be talking about that in our Story of the Week section next week. But we got a little sneak peek or a little leak peek, I Ooh, should say. Uh, because it looks like we've, we are hearing, we see a little image that has surfaced on the web of an ad before the actual announcement. Uh, we're hearing it's going to be called Call of Duty Infinite. <laughs> which kind of puts you in a box for next year's edition, guys. Uh, Infinite plus one, I guess we call that. Um, <laughs> but uh, Call of Duty Infinite, we don't know anything more about that game. But what we do know is that it will be uh, shipping alongside a remastered version of the original Call of Duty Modern Warfare, at least on PS4, because that's what the image shows is a PS4 box. Uh, you guys excited about a, a remastered Call of Duty Modern Warfare, Sharif? 
Um, I love Modern Warfare. Um, it's just one of those games where, you know, it's just, I just love like the interaction between the characters. Like you kind of tend to think of like the Call of Duty series as like kind of one where I feel like the characters and the dialogue doesn't matter. But for me, at least those early Modern Warfare games with like Soap and John Price and, and yeah. these guys, I, I, I actually, it was, I liked it as much as I would like watching any sort of TV show, kind of like super actiony kind of show. Um, so you know, I'm I'm hyped for that. Um, as far as Infinite Warfare, I mean, I really don't know where else they can go with this stuff. To be honest, um, to I've Infinity played, and Beyond, I think is the next place. I mean, they've gone modern. They've gone to the future. To me, the only thing they can really do is go back, to be honest. To, well, that's where to, it started, right? World War II is where Call of Duty ex- started. So I don't know. Exactly. And and um, there was some really cool scenes in the last Advanced Warfare that um, did have kind of a, uh, a uh, throwback to that. And I really enjoyed um, those uh, levels. But yeah, I mean, until they say more about exactly what Infinite Warfare is, like I just have no reason to be excited about that. I mean, it's largely most likely going to be more of the same christian you excited for this i reserve my excitement it's hard to get excited for call of duty year after year after year i find that i play more of them than i don't modern warfare when it came out you know blew me away i think the most time i've logged in any call of duty multiplayer ever was in the beta for advanced war or modern warfare god they're all the same <laughs> ah! <laughs> battleborn battle cry cry battle advanced warfare warfare of advancement i don't the call of duty 4 i played that beta to death and i remember showing my friends like no no you don't understand look at the glass on this scope doing a round object in a polygonal game is so difficult this looks round you don't understand and like the ghillie suit oh, mind yes. blown but what i don't know is I don't think I want to just play a up res version of that. Like I, I want if they're re-releasing Modern Warfare, I want them to go the Gears of War Ultimate or Halo um, Anniversary Edition. Like I want this thing done right. And if it's a pack in for the current Call of Duty, I don't think that's what it's going to be. But I mean, I think I I might pay full price for a you know Gears of War Ultimate type of remake of Modern mm-hmm. Warfare Four. That game was. It just strikes all the right chords. Like that's on a level of nostalgia for me that Mario Three is now. I mean, it's what, yeah. 10, 15 years old, and was just like beautiful. Uh, AQ Trans in the in the chat room says Infinite equals time travel. Mm, Call of Duty Infinite, your time traveling soldier. I could be down for that. Okay. Uh, you know, or maybe it's a crossover with Bioshock Infinite. <laughs> wow, that would be <laughs> incredible. <laughs> Uh, All right, guys, uh, that's it for our stories of the week. We got lots of games to talk about, so let's get to the playlist. playlist. Sharif, uh, we talked last week about Star Fox Zero, and I think we found one of the few people, at least a few reviewers out there, who actually gave Star Fox Zero a pretty positive review. You have also been playing Star Fox Zero. Are you positive on it? I am positive on it. Um, Yeah? With the realization that um, this game is going to turn a lot of people away. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody says that. I like it. Most people are going to hate it. (laughs) Like, it's not that most people are going to hate it. I just think that, number one, like, I think Nintendo is in a position where 
if you're not already in the sort of sphere of their games, it's going to take a lot to move you. And it has to be immediate, right? So I don't think people have a lot of tolerance or a lot of um, leeway you know, for, for a, a Nintendo game if they're not already into it. So, like, that's a Nintendo game with regular controls. <laughs> so if you throw on, like, the fact that the control scheme immediately takes a good 30 minutes to an hour to really get a hang on. But the game's only two hours. Yeah, it's, it, <laughs> yeah it, it, is, it, it is not a long game. Um, but the reason I like it is because um, once you sort of accept, like, all right, I can't control this normally, you know, I'm, I'm either going to dig into this or I'm not going to. If you choose to dig into it, one thing that I love about the game is that they've added a lot of tactics to the game um, that they have previously explored in sort of the uh, um, Star Fox Command for the DS and uh, some of the other games where like, where like you actually have these different forms that you can transform into and that kind of chooses how you approach a level. Um, so it's, it's not quite the, um, strict on rails where you're always going the same way every time, like it was in the, uh, in the first two games. It's a little bit, as you get further, it's a little bit, um, like some of these recent kind of transformer games where like you can go on land in the air and sort of transform in real time. And that changes, you know, how you, attack the enemies and some of the enemies are doing like the same thing like they're transforming from like air to a uh, ground so i feel like that you know th- that they really did add this like other level onto the game um but um aside from that it totally is you know it is a, a reimagining of a 64 um so in terms of the dialogue and the planets and like that kind of stuff it's not a revolutionary kind of thing and like i don't think it was ever sort of marketed to uh, be that way um i do think that it uses the gamepad decently um like like most people i do wish that you had the option to just turn off the motion controls completely um because i don't think that they mesh in the same way that they did with say a splatoon where i think a lot of people didn't like them at first in splatoon but it kind of made more sense with the accuracy that you need in that game. You don't quite need the same kind of accuracy that you do, um, you know, in a Star Fox game. So it's 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 a weird way to rate or recommend the game because I feel like you know, for most people, like 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 you know, if if you've never played a Star Fox game, or if you don't have a propensity for Nintendo software, and if you don't have a propensity for controls, it's hard to recommend it. You know. Yeah. I guess my question is, you know, if you if you spend the half hour or hour and you make the decision to embrace the controls and go, I'm really going to become a master of this. Do you come out the other side going, yeah, the controls give me something that doing it in a traditional way wouldn't have? Or does it just feel like I, I put in the time to learn this, to get good at this, to make it work, but it still would have been better if I didn't have to do that? I think it does. Um, and that's because I don't think that they could have gotten away with just re-releasing a newer, prettier version of Star Fox 64. I do think that they did need to add some new things to it. And, but it's and just like, new for news' sake? Uh, 
Yes. <laughs> okay. Like, I mean, yeah. I guess it's a good thing to be, be. I guess it's a good thing. Yeah. Right? Something new, but I just feel like if it didn't, I, if it doesn't make me feel more in control and more like a pilot, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I. I don't necessarily think new for new sake is always a, I mean, I think that that's something that a lot of, you know, new series of games do. They have to add something new if they're releasing, you know, on a new system or, uh, or something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I do think that it does add, like, I feel that I can approach an encounter multiple ways and I've never really felt that in a Star Fox game previously. Um, and like, uh, that's, you, you that's what really attracts me to it. I'm at the point now where I'm replaying a bunch of levels and like, I'm like unlocking new paths and new fights and new encounters and new things that you can kind of transform into. So it is a short game, but like the original game, it's definitely one that encourages multiple playthroughs and, and like there's like a scoreboard and like if you get above a certain thing then you unlock additional levels so like they are definitely going for like sort of that old school kind of arcade mentality of like repeated play yeah um so like i do think that it is rewarding if you give it a uh chance um but man i i just i know personally that you know i'm willing to do that because you know i've invested in, in in a Wii U, and I have the like nostalgia for the original Star Fox games. Um, it's just a hard sell for anyone else. Do you think this is going to be the last Wii U game you play? Uh, as far as major games, I mean, I'm not really a Paper Mario. I've never really been that interested in that franchise. Um, so uh, unless they continue to come out with um, good indie games, which I've I've honestly preferred a lot of the indie games on the Wii U because I like to play them on the gamepad. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've had some really good ones in the past couple months. Um, if they keep that going, sure. But no, I think it's pretty much going to be um, just like continuing with the Splatoons and the Mario Makers and uh, that kind of stuff. Um, I don't yeah. see any, any major things coming out that like I would pr- purchase. I think Splatoon is certainly the breakout achievement of this console but I suspect that Wii U will be remembered as the Mario Maker machine. Like it was the it was the machine that enabled Mario Maker to be a thing. The fact that you could edit on that pad, I think, was really what made Mario Maker work best. And the fact that you know they've actually achieved this editor, and there's all these awesome levels to play, and that took off in such a cool way. I think the Wii U will it will be go, will go down as the Mario Maker machine. That's just my theory. I agree. Um, I want to hear about uh, Orion. Is it pronounced Orion or Orion? Yep. So um, Orion Legacy of the Cory Odon. This game um, looks beautiful. Yeah, it's a it's a really cool game. Um, so it's basically made by an um, African studio that is uh, headed by, um, by uh, Madiba Olivier, who we actually interviewed on the Spawn Ami podcast. Um, and it's like a game that is really centered around African culture, um, and like around like 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 the the um stories and and the heroes um that like exist in Africa. So it's like really really cool. It's like advertised as a two D African fantasy action RPG. <laughs> wow, which which is a uh, cool and. 
it basically plays out as a side-scrolling game, um, and you know, like like you go through and you and, and you talk to folks, but like once it gets into the battle sequences, that's when it like kind of turns more into it. Like almost feels like a Secret of Mana ish game where like. Mm-hmm. It's like real time, but you're balancing like stamina and magic and health, um, and like you're calling in kind of like supporting characters to like heal you, um, and it's just really cool. Um, you know, it's I think it's visually stunning, which is really probably the thing that is really going to attract a lot of uh, of uh, folks to, to it. Um, and the fact that, you, you know, I, I mean, like, obviously I'm a, a big proponent of like diversity in the industry in general. And yeah, I mean, I, I can't quite remember seeing a game that was this hev- heavily centered, you know, on, uh, Af- on African culture. And, you yeah. know, it was, it's, it's just really cool to like see l- like the Swahili that, that's like thrown into the game. Um, and you know, it, it, it just makes me feel good that the industry is in such a place where games like this can like come out and do pretty well. Um, it's like a, a, a $20 game on a steam. I would definitely highly recommend, um, you know, that, um, if you're into sort of the like action RPG games that, uh, you check it out. Yeah, it's called Arion Legacy of the Cory Odon. Yes. Uh, and man, I, I haven't played it, but I certainly uh, checked it out, and it's it's beautiful. It looks like it looks like an awesome cartoon that you get to play, and it reminds me that you know, as much as I love sort of um, uh, you know Tolkien esque sword and sorcery stuff, there are so many different cultural myths and venues and and traditions that can be mined and make for really fascinating settings for video games that we don't need to see the millionth, you know, like Anglo-Saxon castle with, you know, same kind of armor and same kind of swords. Like, I love those games, but after the millionth time of being in that world, it all feels a little redundant. And there are so many different kinds of cultures that have the ability to contribute really interesting settings for games. I would, I hope this encourages more people to, to branch out like that. Yeah. I mean, white people could have a, a game in Africa also, you know, <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah. we can put dragons and white people in any con. I mean, you go to China, you <laughs> go to England. It doesn't matter. It just needs to have white people and girls with boobs falling out. I, I mean, the possibilities are limitless. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and 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 I I don't count like Resident Evil Five as a game and uh, oh, featuring African oh, right. culture either. <laughs> <No>. uh, <laughs> but 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 um, yeah, as as you said, Jeff, there's just so many cultures and so many um, countries. I mean, like we've seen uh, games like Never Alone, right? Mm-hmm. Um, g- games uh, like The Witcher Three, like uh, re- re- really tap in, into very specific cultural things um and i hope that like that that continues because to me games are you know games are about storytelling i mean not every game has to have a deep story but there definitely is a significant portion of games that are driven by a narrative and if you keep getting that narrative from the same space then what the hell (laughs) you know yeah completely and and and, you know even even, you don't even have to get to narrative just like look and feel you know just the fact that 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 game 
Orion, Legacy of the Cory Odon, looks like nothing else I've ever seen. And that immediately makes me go, ooh, I want to try that. I want to be in that world. I want to see what that's all about. You know, it's cool. Um, we already talked a little bit about the division, but do, you've been playing more of it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, you know, like there's like daily missions where like where like yeah. you have to. I mean, I don't want to bore people that don't know about all the currencies and stuff. But you basically get these currencies called Phoenix credits, and you use those to upgrade to the newest gear. Um, one thing that keeps me playing the division is so like I'm playing on PC, so there's. So I think it's a little different on PC versus console because one thing I've found with my friends that play on the consoles is that most people are partied up. So mm-hmm. when you're in the dark zone, in the PvP area, you don't really get that chatting with other players that you pass by. Um, whereas on the PC side, I feel like it's the opposite. So I'm yeah. always meeting these people and just have, and just it's just... You just have these hilarious conversations where you're hunting down rogue agents um, or you're doing that stuff. So, so, like, I've added all these people to my friends list and, like, had these really fun games with just random people that I've met in the PvP area. So that's yeah. really what has kept me going. Like, like um, you know, it's really an experiment, kind of this mashup of PvE and a PvP that the Dark Zone is. And I think it's been successful for the most part, even though there has been the hacking and, like, all that stuff. But, um, oh, me too, man. I agree. It's 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 my game of the year so far. I mean, we're we're early, and there's a lot of heavy hitters coming out. But uh, I've had so much fun with it. And you you know you bring up stories like that. I'm also playing on PC, and uh, I was playing with my friend Jerry a while back, and and he and I were uh, <laughs> were um, I may have been Dan. It doesn't matter who I was playing with. I was playing with somebody, and we were um, we were running through <laughs> we were running through the dark zone, and there were this group of like. Th- two other dudes that were running were like, let's just follow them and we'll see where they're headed. Maybe they're running a route that we can, you know, you know, shoot some names and maybe get some, some golds to drop hopefully. Um, and we, we start following them and at a certain point they stop and they turn around. And they're like, Hey, why are you creepily following us? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you know, you can like just press shift key and you'll, you'll, you'll chat and, um, or I don't know if it's shift key, whatever. It doesn't matter. C key. Uh, and, uh, I was like, we just want to be with you. <laughs> and uh, they thankfully didn't think that was even creepier, but we were laughing the whole time about like, we just want to be, we just want to be near you. Can we, can we just be with you? We just want to be with you. And they're like, okay, let's party up. And we partied up and we went and we took down a bunch of names and got some cool loots and it was great. And I love that part of it. I, I think that is so cool. And that feeling of randomness uh, and, and genuinely or generally, I should say, uh, it's been a very positive experience playing with with complete strangers in that game, which is which is cool. Yep. Christian, your playlist uh, involves a visit to my house. Yeah, would, would you call it the lab or no? The volume. The volume. The volume. It's now called the volume. My yeah. my my room because n- there's nothing in it. It's just the volume. Well, there's still plenty. Of, I think. People heard you last week say there's nothing in it, and then if you want to watch, uh, I went over to Jeff's house and took the Vive on a on a test drive. I have the pretty much my entire playtime with it up on um, my YouTube channel, which it's a new channel. I don't have like one of those fancy vanity links, but if you go to my site christianspicer.com, there is a link for it. I believe there's also a link for it on my Twitch page if you want to find it. But I have a video up of uh, my entire time in the Vive, so people are like. 
were already commenting. I thought after last week or whatever, Jeff's room would be empty. I think you still have more board games in that room than most other people own. But <laughs> that's just because you didn't see it before, everybody. Right. right. If you'd I, seen it before. Yeah, that's yeah. the after. You're only getting the after. It that's feels it. empty to you. To anyone else, they'd be like, "Oh, this is a full room." <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. Um, but man, uh, so you can watch that there. But I will, you know, try to explain in more detail here because that was just literally what was happening. Um, for me, and I don't want this to come across glass half empty. I think this is, I'm trying to be positive, but sometimes I feel like the way I say things, it comes out the wrong way. Um, the proof of tech of this thing working is so there and so flawless and so seamless that it, it it becomes frustrating because you can't do everything you want to. Like I wanted to run and dive and, and do everything because you get this thing on and it tracks you in a way that feels authentic. Like I want to... You look down, I think you had mentioned it before when you talked about playing the climb at GDC, which I know you played on on Oculus with the controller, but I still felt like I looked down and I could see my hands or my gun floating in space, but I'm like, your brain is telling you, no, dude, your feet should be there. Like, It's so real and tracks you so well that it's like, I'm, I'm the annoying guy sitting there complaining that we have this amazing new tech, but I'm like, yeah, 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 but don't you see where we're going to be in 20 years? <laughs> <laughs> um, but the last, what was the, what was the, you said it's a beta. It's the shooty shoot game. What is that game called? Raw data. Raw data. Like that's, yeah. if you have access to someone at the Vive and you say, show me the blow me away application, that's the game. I agree. Un, unbelievable. Like I had done a hard workout that morning and I was still like slamming, ducking behind cover and like, I, I didn't. I tried to hold this in when I, when it happened, but you can reload by taking the clip off your hip and like slamming it into your other hand, holding the gun. And I totally smashed my thumb. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, ah, keep playing. Um, just un unbelievable. And you had mentioned, Christian, go ahead, Christian. When I played it at their offices the first time before the Vive was released, I got a chance to go play it at the at their offices, and we played a two-player version you know uh, could you oh yeah i mean the game is two players it just doesn't have net code yet it's only lan supported and unfortunately don't have uh two rooms and two vibes and two computers <laughs> but my god okay so playing it at their thing th- the fact that you can play with a friend is going to be when they have net code that is going to be the ultimate dream because it's one thing standing in the volume by yourself and and shooting around and having a great time but when you're in those those places with other people, it's a completely revolutionary experience. Sure, I can only imagine. Yeah, because you turn around and like when I watched the video, you know, that I captured off the GoPro of like me doing this stuff, like I, my almost favorite part of watching it was watching you do like this beautiful ballet to try to see the <laughs> computer monitor because I had no clue. I mean, you have no clue. I had no clue. I was so close. I was like between your bookshelf and the wall, like trying to grab and you're there like it looks like you're like the sexy guy from like ghost. Like, you know, yeah, like, I was, I'm your roadie. Yeah. It's fun being your roadie. I've had a couple of, uh, Alex Albrecht also came over to my place and, and tested it out this week. So like right back to back, Christian came over and then Alex came over and, and I, there's such a joy to like being the roadie and like guiding someone through an experience. And when I've been at E3 and GDC and all these different events, uh, testing out, um, VR experiences, my favorite parts of it are when the somebody else is like in my ear, you know, oftentimes they'll have they'll patch themselves into your ear and they can talk to you in the VR space. 
uh, or the, or like with raw data or that um, that uh, that other game that I was telling you about this like Tron a few episodes back where there's another actual virtual player there that you can talk to and they will say things like okay look down to your left hand you now have a shield and and you're like yes I do <laughs> um, that is the coolest stuff and being the person that is like guiding some it's almost like you know like uh, Timothy Leary guiding someone through an LSD experience it's like it's like <laughs> Being your guide through the experience is so fun, even though I'm not in it. Like having a person experience VR for the first time and be like, okay, now you're going to walk over and you're going to pull that lever down. And you know what you're going to see? Look down at your hip. There's a gun there. Pick up that. It's like, it's so cool to be that person. It's really fun. Now look behind you. I've been naked this whole time. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. There's that too. You can do whatever you want. Yeah. I'm, I am totally sold on VR as well. Um, I played some great games at GDC. The ones that come to mind are like Narcosis mm. and, and yeah. Earthlight. Um, I mean, it's just if, if you have the money, because it admittedly is a, you know, sort of niche, um, expensive thing as of now, but man, it is, it is incredible. Hopefully that the PSVR, um, you know, that, that I think is good as well. And like that obviously is going to be sort of like the, the, the consumer level, um, thing I think for a while. Um, yeah, for sure. but man, but the Oculus and the Vive are just, they are mind blowing. <laughs> I'm still not sold on it. I am sold on, if you have a friend that has, I am sold on it as like, I personally don't think I would, pony up the money for i don't have the room for a vibe so i i couldn't do that like i literally don't have the room anywhere in my house where i could have a pc that could run it uh and i i feel like for me i want this as star tours at disney or you know the back to the future ride at universal or at dave and busters i think everyone should experience this and i think we're maybe a generation or two before i can sit here and say hey idiots go buy this thing it's like the iphone one when they had a four gig version for six hundred dollars or whatever it was it was like no 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 don't buy this thing but like we see it coming you know and that's where i feel like vr i'm so glad though that this proof of tech consumer launch i mean the launch is horrible (laughs) but uh it it works as promised you know i you put on that thing and jeff's like okay look down look there look and it and it it does it like i had i had played oculus before but never vive and the room scale stuff it does it makes you want to get what like what did you say the cell like you want to get the harness like the ceiling harness <laughs> you want to get a new house uh yeah. to make this thing work as well as it can because when it does it's it's mind blowing well I, I don't think you're wrong about your assessment but i will say this i i'm i'm completely convinced having played almost everything that's available now for vive that we are just at the very beginning of even what this tech can do because people had the prototypes for so little time before we got to see some of these launch games. And most of the launch games very much are these sort of arcadey short experiences. The exception is a game that you didn't get to try when you were here, but it really is that take your time. I'm going to give you two or three hours to play this. It's slow. It's methodical. And that is the one I talked about last week, which is Call of the Starseed, uh, and which is episode one of of this uh, you know longer thing called the Gallery. And it really is episodic. It's very short. Uh, it leaves me wanting so much more. But it it drove home to me the 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 sense that a there's going to be big AAA games in these things that are going to completely dwarf what we're able to do right now. And they're not far away. I think they're six months away, a year away. Um, But also 
I think the pace of, of your average Vive game can be much slower than the pace of your average PC or console game, and it's still extremely fun. Call of the Starseed is a, is a, a game where... I'm just mostly kind of standing and looking at stuff and being real slow and looking under things. I'm dealing with a video game in the way I would deal with something in real life. You know, when you are in those aforementioned uh, escape rooms in real life, you're not running around jumping in every corner and, you know, when you're trying to solve a puzzle in a video game, you're like bouncing off the walls and trying to, you know, (laughs) run in from place to place. Nathan Drake's like jumping against every wall to see if that... (laughs) Yeah, but in real life... You, you actually stand and ponder and look and, 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 you know, look around and think about things. And that's what you do in that game. And I think there's going to be a pace of games in VR that are still really fun because you're inside it and you're looking, you're seeing things you've never seen before. You're being able to be inside and at places that are, you know, awe-inspiring because you're in virtual reality. But the things you're doing are very slow, very methodical, but still really fun. And it's not, not, not boring in the way that if you did that in a PC game, it might feel slow. What was that game um, called again? Uh, where should we hang this next picture? And is it level? <laughs> is it level? <laughs> um, I have more VR stuff to talk about. But Christian, why don't you also talk about uh, your... My, my, my Twitch escapades that are trying to keep me warm at night, even though I know that copies of Uncharted 4 exist in the wild and I don't have one. Okay, cool. Um, I am re- I am charting it, you guys. I am trying to get mm. through the single player, play it on the easiest difficulty. I'm not kidding myself and trying to be go like, unhardened. Um, replaying Uncharted 1, 2, and we'll see if we get to 3. Uh, on my Twitch, which is twitch.tv slash Christian Spicer, I have beat 1. I've moved on to 2. I really, really love these games, you guys, but the more I play it, I really do think, I don't know, I know nothing about 4. I'm unsullied in this game, Mm. but I feel like the reveal of this thing is like, Nathan Drake was the bad guy the whole time. Like the start of Uncharted 2, he's sitting there on the beach, these two old friends come up to him and they're like, hey, we have this thing, we're working for this rich guy, we want to go get this thing, and the first word out of Nathan's mouth is like, we're going to screw him over, right? Like, why would you do that? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you're already a millionaire after the first one and then it, it just like constantly all he's looking to do is screw over people and steal from them and he lives in this denial world where he didn't already figure out that werewolves exist he like reads this thing and he's like oh yeah and he tried to keep the artifact here because of the horrors it unveiled i guess it was a flood no you idiot it wasn't a flood it was another monsters like what are you <laughs> doing and then immediately he's like now how can i screw over chloe it is crazy i love these games but He's a jerk. You can see those exploits on on Twitch. Hopefully, we'll get to three, which I think has some of the best set pieces of any of the games, but also has some of the worst combat encounters, unfortunately. And then hope four is. Whew. I wish I could tell you about the game that I'm playing right now, Christian. <laughs> I, I, I don't know why I'm bringing it up. I don't know why I'm bringing it up right now after you talking about that. But I wish I could talk to you about it, but I can't. Oh, um, too bad. Yeah. Uh, but oh, I have sorry. been playing a couple. I have, this, I have this cut on my arm. Uh, it needs some lemon and salt, please. <laughs> if you could. I will just say I can't. I will say I can't say anything. Oh, but, last uh, thing I will say about uh, Uncharted. Again, love the games. One of my favorite series of all times. But the worst name. Like literally in every game, it starts with him getting a chart to the treasure. Like that's how it starts. It's like here's this chart. Go find this treasure. It should be called Charted. 
previously charted. <laughs> anyway, Amazing. sorry. Well, we'll be talking more about maybe. I won't game. be. I'm checked yeah. out until I get a retail copy. I don't know when embargoes lift on that thing, but seriously, I think it's next week. I, I don't know. I don't. I'm not allowed to. I'm I don't know here. why I would know, but I'm pretty sure I could. I'm not here next week. week. Oh, I can't okay. wait. Can't wait to play. Um. So I want to talk about a couple of other VR experiences. I know because the main game that's on my playlist is one that I'm not allowed to talk about. But I have, I had, I did try out a couple of other VR experiences in Vive uh, that uh, after Christian left, and they're both uh, quite interesting. One is called Windlands. Windlands. Uh, which is, you know, there's a lot of these games lately that I've been talking about because they're very much a game that I love. Uh, a story about my uncle I talked about, and I talked about, um, oh, what was that game called? Uh, Windsor Alley or something like that. What's it called? Uh, Welkin Road. Welkin Road. With, uh, these, I keep calling them Spider-Man simulators. <laughs> um, somebody is going to do a Spider-Man game on Vive and is going to be my favorite thing in the world. But until that, that day... Sorry, sorry. Did you see that Sony rumor? No. That Sony has a Spider-Man game in the works, uh, like something about... The VR? That, that, that is the big, un, totally unsubstantiated rumors that they're working oh. on a Spider-Man game for PlayStation VR. Oh, I didn't hear about that. Dude, it needs to happen because until we actually get the Spider-Man game for VR, we have Windlands, which is uh, very early days. Very, you know, it's it, this is a game that is still being worked on. It is not final. It It, it feels a little... Primitive is the wrong word, but um, it, it feels unfinished, I will say. Uh, and, it, and it is, but it shows so much promise, guys. It shows so much promise. You have, uh, basically, you're in this kind of fantastic, um, almost cartoonish world that looks very similar, actually, to Mario, uh, Mario 64 or something. It's like a, a vibrant, colorful world uh, that has these kind of strange artifacts and things and you're just kind of traversing around the world and you never die there's no dying you can respawn at any time by pushing the button and you'll do that a lot because you'll get yourself into into places that you don't want to be uh but you never die it never kills you it just you're just stuck in that little spot and it's like okay well i gotta respawn now and it's all about getting around this world and you can walk forward and you can jump like super jump which is a little disorienting at first in, in, <laughs> in VR, I will say. Because you're not jumping, right? Like you're, yeah. you're no, literally you're pushing jumping. a button. Yeah, it's a yeah. button. And you're going and you're flinging yourself around this place. And then very soon after that, you get a pair of grappling hooks, one for each hand. So your two Vive controllers are grappling hooks. And you start being able to grapple trees and things. And you can swing yourself around the level. It's not perfect it, it it definitely it just it shows so much potential because you know you get yourself in these weird positions the physics don't feel exactly right you 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 kind of fling yourself off strangely and you do all kinds of strange things and the game starts in vive it starts by default with a control scheme where you can't even move side to side you can only move straight which i found or you, and you can't turn right you turn by turning your head which I found very tough at first. It's very frustrating, but does they that, do does that. Does that turn your body or just your in-game head? Like when you just say your you... in-game head. So you found, I found myself like stuck up against a wall or like a curb or something. And like, how do I just get around this? Like in another game, it would be super Classic simple. Classic Spider-Man. Yeah. But 
they do that because if you can move side to side easily and quickly in the game, you will puke. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> oh, yeah. But they- Sorry, I keep interrupting. I will not after this. I, 40 minutes, eyes on, uh, did not get sick at all, felt less eye strain than if I were to play my, 3D, my new 3DS for 40 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, I'm done. Uh, so anyway, so then you can, you can switch the control scheme in this game to one where you can actually turn using the thumb pads. Uh, and I eventually did that, and I became much and much more fun with it because I could get around much easier. And swinging and flinging myself around, really, I was very surprised that I didn't get sick. Really interesting game. I highly recommend anybody that has a vibe give it a chance. It's called Windlands. It's it it, it just shows so much promise about what we're eventually going to be doing in VR. I, I think it's a it's a fun experience as it is now, but it it really is just the the tip of the iceberg. The game that will make you puke, Christian, is a game called Crystal Rift, which also shows a ton of potential, but w- I, I was sick for a long time after I took the headset <laughs> off. My poor wife, I was like, I just feel so nauseated. Um, and then, <laughs> honestly, pregnant, your pregnant wife is like, I, know, I feel right? real like, you sorry for you. You have to take care you. of me, honey. You have to take care of me. Um, <laughs> it's the first game in Vive that got me sick. And the reason is it's an old school... Uh, like grid-based uh, RPG in the old, you know, Ultima Underworld style where you push forward and you move forward one square. What was that game that I was raving about last year that was like that? Um, it was a sequel. The name is escaping me. It was so, so good, though. Um, anyway, it's this old, it's, it's a grid. So, you're, you know, you, you, the room is a you know, three-by-three three grid and you push forward one and you move forward an entire square, right? Which is very disorienting in VR, <laughs> The, the first time I tried this game, you immediately start it and you're inside this sort of almost like a Wolfenstein 3D classic, like, you know, very square, very boxy, very old school looking environment. But it's a dungeon and there's switches on the walls and torches illuminating it and you're inside it and it feels like you look all the way around yourself and you're like, I'm in a dungeon. This is going to be my favorite game on Vive. Until I started moving, and I was like, "Barf!" Because you move forward one square at a time, and for whatever reason, the way they do it is so disorienting. But there's again so much promise here because you eventually get a sword that's mapped one to one to your to your you know perfectly one to one to your um, Vive controller. But you still have to push a button to attack something. So you could swing the sword all you want at the enemy skeletons that are attacking you, and it does nothing until you push a button to actually make it do a swing attack so again very early days very not where we want things to be but another experience that just feels like it shows the potential which is why i feel like we are really only getting the very beginning of these games right now and people are figuring this stuff out as we go and the next six to eight months i think is going to be pretty exciting for stuff like that all right, guys, uh, enough uh, of that stuff. Um, it's International Tabletop Day. Let's get to tabletop time. Tabletop time, tabletop time. Right now, right now. Oh, man. Let's start with uh, an email, which was sent to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. This is a fun one that Matt sent to us. He says... Um, Oh, no, wait. I'm sorry. Not Matt. Uh, this is Jackie from Vancouver, British Columbia. Jackie says, uh, DLC really changed my life 
positively in many ways. This is awesome. I have just finished my first ever 10K marathon, the Sun Run, two weeks ago. Something I've never thought I would do. Thank you, Jeff, for the inspiration. Geeks and sneaks, guys. I love hearing that. He also says, and also like Jeff, I got totally hooked on Heroes of the Storm. I had no interest in MOBAs before his recommendation. I got into the beta more than a year ago, and I'm still playing it since, way past 1,000 games. And uh, most of it I played solo queue. Awesome. He says, uh, I'm writing this email hoping to get some board game recommendations for my upcoming trip to visit my girlfriend's family for a second time. I have little experience in board games, despite that I've always... Had so much fun every time I've played. Pandemic still remains one of my top, very short list of board gaming experiences. From my previous trip, I bought Ticket to Ride, Europe. It turned out to be a big hit. However, uh, I did have to uh, alter the rule a little bit to be more like the original. Um, And there are, uh, are there any board games that are fun and easy to teach for parents and friends? I was thinking of getting Forbidden Desert because of it mentioned on the show. And I love co-op games, but I just wanted to see if you had other choices. I think Christian mentioned that his in-laws have liked Lords of Waterdeep, so I'm looking into that one as well. Or Lahav, since it's Jeff's favorite. Seriously, there are so many, I can't decide. Please help! Sincerely, Jackie from Vancouver, British Columbia. Click add to cart, click buy. Done. Click buy what? All of them. Yeah, those are good. I would say Lahav mm. might be a little more... It's a kind of a step up from the intro basic ones but uh also very good it has a it does have a very simple rule set when you get right down to it i just think that the setup of that game is very intense and you might lose people before you even got it finished being set up because uh it's a very intense setup but um i think ticket to ride is the one i usually advise people to get you already did that with ticket to ride europe ticket to ride is is such an easy choice uh i would also recommend um um What's it called? Uh, God, why is my brain not working today? Um, the gem game that I'm always recommending. It's on my shelf. Splendor? Uh, we, Splendor, yes. Splendor is a great one. Um, which you also play with your in-laws, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in the chat room, people are saying uh, Falcon X Blast says Puerto Rico, which is a great one. Again, maybe a half a step up uh, the complexity level for sure. Um Lords of Waterdeep is a great recommendation. It's so clearly uh, explained, and there are wonderful videos that that uh, Fantasy Flight Games made to, to help explain how to play it so you don't have to explain the rules yourself. Um, what are other good ones that are easy to recommend? Do you have a go-to, uh, Sharif? Is there, I, I forget if you're a tabletop guy. Uh, I, I dabble in it. Um, I mean, Ticket to Ride would be the one that I would recommend um you know um and uh um i always mispronounce it um agricola <laughs> yeah agricola that's that's correct. yes correct yes um um that one i feel like that that's the one that i probably enjoyed the most but i did have someone kind of sit down and really walk me through the setup of it because the setup at least initially was a little intimidating for me yes. but but i do think that it's the one that i had probably the most fun with um, Grigola is one of my favorites, but it certainly is pretty intense for for newcomers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but the uh, good thing about that game is that because it's been sort of you know around so much, there's a lot of um, guides, and there's even like a um, iPhone app of it hmm. that'll sort of walk you through you know right. like the setup and all that kind of stuff. So so like I think that that that, that like that game with the assistance of those tools. Um, 
you know, it, it, it makes it a little easier to uh, jump into um, as opposed to just going off of the rule book itself. A couple of others. I would say a Small World is a great, great game to introduce to new people. Um, pretty interesting, pretty straightforward, really beautifully designed and, and evocative. Um, I would say Going, Going, Gone is a one I really enjoy, which is really simple and it leads to some zaniness because you have this physical aspect of throwing little cubes into little cups before someone can slap the top of the cup down. Uh, it's a, this crazy auction game um, and that's called Going, Going, Gone. Um, yeah, I think those are, those are all great, great choices. I'd love to hear what you think. Oh, and Dominion. You know, if you want to get into sort of, um, you know, strategic games, I think Dominion, you can learn that game so quickly and easily, and it's got such so many expansions that you can go down the road of, of buying if you get really into it. But it kind of teaches you about deck building games. It was the proto deck building game. So um, if you learn that game, you can play almost any other one. So, uh, yeah, that's another great, great suggestion as well. I want to tell you guys a little bit about my experience at Tabletop Day this morning. It's yeah. Tabletop Day right now, but uh, I was uh, on the Geek and Sundry stream. And um, another game that's great for newcomers is called Codenames. We've talked about that a bunch on this show. It's an inexpensive game. It's a great party game. You can play for huge groups of people as well because it's basically just two teams. And you're guess it's a it's a game like password kind of thing, but you're guessing groupings of words at once using only one word clue. A uh, really, really fun a, game. <clears throat> Sorry, like a quick example of what that would be? Yeah, so the idea would be that you have this grid of words in front of you, right? And the same grid of words is used for both teams. But the the code word giver, the clue giver, each team elects one person to be the the giver and everybody else guesses, right? So the givers of each team have a uh, a color-coded key in front of them that lets them know which words on the grid are their words hmm. and which words are the other team's words. So you're trying to get your team to guess the words that are your words and not the words that are the other team's words. And you're trying to get them to do it quicker than the other team does. So you only get one word clues per turn, but you can use that one word clue to make them try to guess multiple words on the on the, oh. um, on the board. So let's say you have... Uh, the word uh, circuit and the word apple uh, a, uh, on, your, on your board, right? You can say, as your clue, you can say computers. And hopefully the team will associate mm -hmm. a circuit with a computer and apple with a computer, right? But you, obviously, you, you know, let's say you have orange and apple and watermelon and you can say um, fruits three, Right, so you know, you know that they're, you're trying to get them to get three things, and there's three fruits out there. So it's a fun way of like having words apply to different scenarios, and these weird associations that you try to get people to make between words that are not really associated. <laughs> uh, it's a really really fun game. Uh, at tabletop day this morning at Geek and Sundry, they revealed a previously unannounced version of that code names called Code Names Pictures. Which I found very fascinating because, again, the grid is a bunch of words in, in the normal Codenames game. But Codename Pictures doesn't have words on the grid. It has pictures, these strange pictures, in fact. Uh, they're, they're very simple, but they're very odd. Like, for example, there was a banana that was being sort of peeled open. You know, it's just sort of sitting there open. But instead of a banana inside the peel, there was a microphone. 
So these strange, like enigmatic, odd pictures that you can associate in different ways with, again, one word clues. Um, and I'm, I don't know when that's being released. They had a, this sort of demoing this unreleased version, but I was very excited about that because Codenames is so fun. I can imagine this sort of pictures version being uh, a, a fun twist on that formula. The other game that I played on the stream is called Schmovie. I'd never played it before, but it's a, it's sort of a, a party game in the style of Apples to Apples or Cards Against Humanity where uh, it's more about people being creative and one player among the group uh, works as the judge to decide who's the most creative or which which person that round won. And it's very arbitrary and it doesn't really matter. It's, just, you know, whatever that judge decides. The idea here is that you get uh, two qualities for a movie that the movie has to contain and a genre of movie that it has to be, and you come up with a funny title. So the example that they gave was like Sandwich and um, action movie. It was an action movie with a sandwich and something else in it. And uh, so people were were saying like Rye Hard, you know, or Stop or My Mom Will Prosciutto. <laughs> so it's all about you I know, like that one. Things that I would love to do, which is like make puns. Um, <laughs> very fun game. We had a good time on the stream playing it, but it certainly does rely on the uh, creativity of the people you play with. Again, it's called Schmovie. Uh, it's another one of those games, though, too, where it's like, okay, here we go. Let's play. Here's your clue. Go. And then everybody just sits there quietly thinking like, oh, man, I got to come up with something creative. So it's not for every group, but, but uh, certainly is a fun concept. Schmovie. All right, guys, uh, that's it for Tabletop Time. I hope everybody has enjoyed Tabletop Day today. I think it's such a cool thing that the Geek and Sundry people have sort of created and turned into a global international event. Um, I'm hoping a lot, of, a lot of you played Tabletop Games on this day, and I'd love to hear about it. DLCfeedback at gmail.com is where you let me know or let us know. Um, we are going to wrap the show up now, but we do have a parting gift coming at you, so stick around for that. Sharif Jackson, thanks so much for being here, man. Absolutely, man. This is all a, a blast as usual, and I love that there was so much Nintendo talk. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love it too. Um, tell people where they can follow your exploits on the internet this week. Sure. Uh, so SharifJackson.com, that's my main website, S-H-A-R-E-F Jackson.com. Uh, that will have you linked over to Gaming Looks Good, which is my YouTube series on diversity in gaming. Um, also to sciencelooksgood.com, which is my science and technology blog, and my two podcasts, Spawn on Me, um, which is our uh, our video game podcast with Khalif Adams and Cicero Holmes, um, which is also at spawnon.me, um, and Operation Cubicle, which is my podcast with J.P. Fairfield, where we talk about work life from a black geeky perspective, which is at Operation Cubicle. Net. So all that stuff is at SharifJackson.com. And if you want to give me a shout out on Twitter, that's at Sharif Jackson. We still have to get Cicero on this show. He's the only member of the Spawn on Me that, that hasn't guessed it on this show yet. So I got to get on that. That's, that's, on, that's my bad. Yeah, he's, he's a hard one to tag down, but <laughs> he's, he's a he'll be guy. a great guest, I'm sure. Awesome. Christian, how about you? What do you got going on this week? If you're listening live, if you're joining us right now on, on Twitch and you're in L.A., it's a lot to ask, but uh, I'm at late night at the Hollywood Improv with Dane Cook and um, Brody Stevens and a bunch of other funny people. That is tonight, Saturday. So if you're listening to this on the 
RSS or iTunes. Sorry, you missed it. If you're listening to it the day it drops on the RSS, I'm at the Comedy Store here in LA on Monday night. And then um, I'm starting to get information and details for those Salt Lake City shows. I'm out there, um, what is that, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, the 19th, 20th, 21st. I think that's the right run of dates. But uh, the 21st at 8.30 p.m., I am headlining a show at the Sandy Station in Salt Lake City. It is May 21st. The show's at 8.30. Start Doors are at 8 if you're in Salt Lake City. They have a great uh, comedy scene, and I'm excited to go out there and doing a couple of alt shows and then headlining that show and it should be a fun trip and then uh yeah i'm you know doing more on my twitch stream which is twitch.tv slash christian spicer trying to stream at least four days a week and um, i also archive the videos over on my new youtube page which you can find on my twitch page or i uh, have links for everything at christianspicer.com And then Department of Parenting is the other podcast I will plug. It is my parenting podcast. We recently had um, Chris Bergman on, who has been a guest on this show. It's interesting to hear him talk about, you know, being a a CEO and a startup and also a parent. And we talked about Lemonade, Beyonce's Lemonade, uh, for a good chunk. It was kind of a bonus-sized episode. And um, Tasha Sorant was on. You might know her from her time at Double Fine. We just had her on that episode we'll release, um, I think, next week or so. That is called Department of Parenting. Jeff, what can you talk about that you're doing this week? <laughs> Not much. <laughs> but but uh, I will say next week's episode is going to be jam-packed. And uh, I'm very excited. There's, probably, there's a game that I haven't talked about in a long time on this show that I love talking about that I'm probably, fair warning, going to be talking about a lot next week. Um but you can, in the meantime, hear me talk about all sorts of other things this week. Uh, we're doing our, this is crazy, guys, 10th year of doing the Summer Movie Wager. Uh, this is the 10th annual Summer Movie Wager. I think it's coming out uh, this week. And uh, that is where we try to pick the top 10 grossing movies in order of the summer. Uh, you should check that out over at the Slash Filmcast at slashfilmcast.com. Also, uh, We Have Concerns is, uh, is trucking along. We have some awesome episodes this week, too, some fun ones. Um, and uh, that's at wehaveconcerns.com. And Tomorrow Daily, the show I do on CNET, is at tomorrowdaily.com. So check all those out. And follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Kanata, with two N's and one T. All right, guys. Let's close out the show with a parting gift. Hey, give us a suggestion. Sharif, do you have a recommendation for people that will get them through their week? Yeah, sure. Um, so if like you want something to like really get you th- through the week, um, I would actually recommend a book that uh, I've been revisiting. Um, and the book is called How to Teach Relativity to Your Dog. <laughs> Whoa, um, okay. Y- yeah, so um, it's a really – interesting book that like takes like the principles of like of like relativity um and and basically the author is explaining the dog to their pet um because the idea is that a dog is constantly in wonder doesn't really question established things is always looking for a new thing to be excited about so a dog doesn't really have sort of a lot of the preconceived notions that prevents a lot of people from really understanding sort of the weirdness of what relativity really entails in terms of space time and uh, all that stuff. So if you've ever seen like interstellar or like any of these movies and like kind of wanted to 
get more information on exactly what some of the um, science is behind that, but wanted to do it in like a very fun way and like a uh, layman's term way, I would de- definitely recommend this book. It like really avoids a lot of math or equations or like that kind of stuff. It's like really focused more on the conceptual level of like what makes like a relativity such an important thing in the world. Ah, that so, sounds awesome. Is so it like, like? Oh, check it out. Who's made of quantum particles? Who's made of quantum particles? You are. <laughs> like that. It actually kind of is. Like it uses a lot of examples of like a dog that wants to chase a squirrel, That's or awesome. like or in in like a, that kind of stuff. And like and like the dog does talk, so it's a conversation between the dog and like the dog is you know talking in its dog way, like oh I just I just want to scratch around here. And that kind of stuff. So, <laughs> That's rad. So, so so yeah, it's it's a uh, really really well done. Um, it's by Chad Orzel, and I would highly recommend it. What's the title again? How to teach relativity to your dog. How to teach relativity relativity to your dog. I'm gonna check that out. That sounds phenomenal. I love that. It's yeah, great, Christian. You got a parting gift? Yeah, I just finished actually, Jeff. Your guys is I would say excellent slash film cast review of. Um, Batman v Superman. Like I've been crying my way through it over various drives across LA (laughs) and I had a drive recently that was two hours. So I made it, I made it through and I cried some more, but I just wanted to plug the DC on television stuff, not legends of tomorrow. That shows a mess, but Supergirl and arrow and flash. And I haven't finished this current season yet. I'm not currently up to date and they make mistakes too, but they're fun, man. I mean, there was a season, was it last season of arrow where he like, quasi organically put a boxing glove on an arrow and shot a dude and you're just like yeah that's great it's so great and supergirl is there's so many heartfelt moments like as long as i leave each episode of supergirl with more love in my heart than eye rolls i consider that a success and it's usually like 60 40 but they're fun if you just want fun geeky tv i think dc is doing good work on television you can just ignore ignore the films for a little while Sharif, I'm just noticing that I completely skipped over your tabletop time stuff. I didn't think you put anything in here, but uh, I, I see that you had. Let's. Uh, I'm going to give my parting gift to you as a way to talk about because I want to hear. I saw that you tweeted a picture of you playing the Knight Rider board game. Yes, and I want to hear that. So let's let's do that <laughs> for my parting gift. Sure. Um, yeah. So um, I was out with a bunch of friends like this weekend. It was a friend's uh, b- birthday. Um, and we uh, went to one of our favorite local spots that has like uh, board games and that kind of stuff in it. And we like we're going to play like some settlers of like Catan, but we saw that there was a Parker Brothers Knight Rider board game. And we said, OK, we have to play this game. Uh, and it was terrible. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was absolutely terrible. Um, essentially, it's a board game where there's like a big twisty kind of like never ending roll uh, road. Everyone gets a car. There, there's like only one kit that's like sort of in the middle in the in the truck. Right. Um, and, and basically the whole idea is to, you know, roll the dice so that you interact with kit so that you land on the same um, space that kit is on. And then you basically have to do what's I like called the chicken challenge. Uh, which basically means that you play chicken with Kit, meaning that like you both draw a card that's like uh, either less, either left swerve or right swerve. Um, and if 
basically, for some reason, if you swerve in different directions, that means that you overtake Kit and you basically carjack it GTA style and you're now in control of Kit. But if you both swerve in the same direction, then Kit obliterates your, your car <laughs> and you just die. Um, so, like, the idea is to have uh, control of a kit so that you can clear off these, like, trouble spots, you, you know, like, a different crimes and, like, a, and, and, like, that kind of stuff. And you clear them literally just by, like, landing on them, and that's it. Um, so it really didn't really take advantage of the property at all. Like, I felt like this was clearly that time where Parker Brothers was just buying up licenses and just sort of, you know, just throwing out anything. I mean, it really seemed like a really weird version of like shoots and ladders. Yeah. Um, this and is yeah. why people hate board games. This is why when you say to somebody, I love board games, they go, really? It's because there's so much garbage that cluttered up the eighties and nineties before the sort of, you know, European board game revolution took hold that people think that all these board games are these boring roll and move crappy things. And it's so frustrating to me. Yeah. 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 It was, it, it, it was pretty bad. <laughs> um, but I did have a lot of success with this other game that we played called Motormouth. Um, oh, yeah, what's that? And this game was like a lot of fun. It's basically like a tongue twister game. Um, like you roll the dice and like you move on this board and there's three options of a space that you can land on. Either talk, talk and pass, or Motormouth. Um, and basically the game like revolves around this like timer. I think it's maybe 45 seconds or, or like, so if you land on a space, you have to start the timer and you have to get your way through this like very long tongue twister in the amount of like time wow. um, on the twister. So it's a perfect game where like, you know, everybody's drinking and you're like, you know, just completely screwing up on these tongue twisters. Um, and the so like that so like that's sort of like the talk option like the talk and pass option you can choose to pass it to someone else that that you think will possibly screw it up <laughs> but, but if they make it you have to roll the dice and go backwards so like you actually lose like progress so it's like a bit of a gamble Love um it. and then if you land on the motor mouth part then it's sort of a game of like hot potato where like you keep passing the buzzer around and once like you finish l like a tongue twister then the next person has to immediately start theirs and like whoever is in the middle of their tongue twister as the buzzer kind of wears off they have to go backwards as well so so like you, you, you know it's like a really fun sort of like interactive game where like everyone's you know making fools of themselves and like that kind of stuff it was a lot of fun um, kind of like, kind of like in the vein of, you know, of like taboo and like those kind of games where like, there's like a lot of screaming yeah. <laughs> and, and like that kind of stuff. But yeah, it was, it was like a really fun party game. It like more than made up for, uh, the abysmal night Rider <laughs> uh, game. So I think I would be good at a, uh, at a tongue twister game. You guys want to hear, you guys want to hear my tongue twister ready for this? I've never done this. I haven't done this in years. Ready? Right, let's go. Here we go. This is, this is my parting gift right here. One red hen and a couple of ducks, three brown bears, four running hares, five fat felines, six, six sexy Sammy sailors, solemnly sailing seven seas, seven nip like nudes, nibbling, nibbling, gnats, knuckles, and cigarette butts, eight sheets I slid, I slid eight sheets and slept between the sl slitted sheets. Nine, I am not a fig plucker, nor am I a fig plucker's son, but I will pluck figs until the fig plucker's son comes. Ten, Chuck, you farley, you ain't so mucking fudge. Why, why don't you go to your own jackyard and back off? And you bet your sweet A, I'm a mother effing turtle. 
Uh, this is a clean show, Jeff. I cleaned it. It was all clean. <laughs> I think it was clean. Yes, it was clean. But that was that was a good job, man. You, Thanks, you man. are the motor mouth. You are the official. Motor I learned mouth. that. I learned that uh, in college, and uh, it stuck with me. I haven't done it in years. That's hundred k okay. well spent. Yeah, right. Thanks, <laughs> thanks, mom and dad. That's that's what's called getting a degree in make believe, right there. That was that was a class I took. Okay, guys, let's wrap it up. As I have completely gone off the rails. Um, thank you, Sharif Jackson and Christian Spicer, for making the show awesome. Uh, thanks to Patrick L, Sean Madigan, Zero Star for contributing music to our bumpers. You guys are the best. Uh, thanks to all the folks in the chat room. It has been absolutely awesome hearing you guys contribute as we talk about the show all day today. Uh, you can always listen to us live. We're usually on Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific time. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter to find out exactly when we'll be recording. Uh, thanks to all of you that downloaded the show. Hey, give us those five-star reviews on Twi- on uh, on the uh, on the iTunes. We really appreciate that. And please tell your friends about the show. That's really the only way we have to get the word out. Uh, we will be back next Monday uh, with a big, big show. It should be a good time. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. <laughs> <laughs>